Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of THN on the Q brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Will McLaren. He's Jamie Tozer. And we are through one weekend of play here in the queue in the 55th season of the league. And uh, wasn't without its uh, newsworthy events. Um, and of course, we were both in a rink watching some of them unfold before our very eyes. So, uh, Jamie, take me through uh, your weekend, uh, obviously watching the Sea Dogs home opener uh, down in St. John. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, it was good to be back, uh, back in a rink watching uh, a real game. Obviously, missed uh, St. Quentin and the atmosphere provided in the preseason, but uh, uh, they, can't, they can't all be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to let go of that yeah. old flame. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Uh, yeah, the, like the atmosphere was bumping though. I'm never. I'm never really sure. Like early in the year, I'm like, is it, is the atmosphere actually good, or have I just been like away from this for so long that it seems good? Uh, but it seemed pretty good. Like it was a lively crowd, almost 5,000 people there. Uh, pretty entertaining game between St. John and Bathurst and uh, pretty tame until the third period. And then third period really uh, turned on, turned into quite a, quite a scene that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about later. Uh, but excellent game, uh, pretty entertaining weekend uh, for the Sea Dogs, and it looks like a pretty entertaining uh, around the league as well. And I know, Will, you took part in the uh, the Mooseheads uh, home opener, I believe. Yes, so uh, home to the Charlottetown Islanders. Um, big night. Um, we There's a special guest, uh, which I'm sure a lot of you are aware of. Um, used to wear number 22 there in Halifax and uh, now uh, made official that nobody else is going to wear 22 ever again uh, in a Mooseheads uniform. Nathan McKinnon, of course, having his... Number retired, and we can talk a little bit more about that uh, later on as well. Um, tough week for the Moose overall, uh, 0-2 to start the year against an Islanders team, very deep in the rebuilding phase. 3-1 loss on home ice, 6-1 loss on the road on, on Saturday. I think that was the real attention getter between those two games, but uh, it's early in the year. Um, two games don't make a season, uh, and I'm sure there's a few coaches around the league that are telling their teams exactly that right now. And, uh, you know, not to deflect uh, any further, but uh, I'd say probably the guy who's uh, preaching that uh, gospel uh, more than any is our old friend Louis Robitaille in Cape Breton, because that was an ugly weekend out in the Cape. Yep. And um, hot take, it's early. Uh, but the Eagles are a team and a franchise. You're always that, so controversial. I know, right? Why, I know. What's you, with that? you can you can clip that one and post it. Um, yeah. They're a team that in a franchise that they have to actually do it for everyone to kind of believe that this is a team that's going to make some noise. Um, and it's obviously still early, but it's not you know the statement weekend that I think the Eagles wanted to make to say that they're for real. Um, and they could potentially challenge for top spot in the Maritimes division. 
Um, really, really tough weekend. Only one goal scored in two games. Only had 41 shots total um, over the weekend. So um, a rare, really, really rough weekend. But on the flip side, Moncton looked pretty good. Um, Jacob Steinman was really good net when, you know, didn't face a lot of shots, but uh, was very strong. And um, Moncton's veterans uh, looked really good as well. So um, good start for the Cats. But I'll be, I'll be interested to see what Cape Breton can do um, this weekend when they're in St. John. Um, they're going to have, I assume they're going to have Cam Squires and Cam McDonald back. They both got sent back from their NHL camp. So big boosts for, for Cape Breton and, and obviously lots of work for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's, you know, the team is on the rise and, you know, even though it, it was bad, especially that second game, the nine, one loss, yeah. um, you know, at times they, I'll, I'll say this much. They didn't look nine, one bad, so to speak. Uh, it was just uh, getting caught flat-footed uh, for two or three shifts in a row, and, and that kind of did it in. So, you know, a, a lot of work to be done there, obviously. Um, but there's a lot of talent on that team. Uh, and if you recall last year, it was a horrendous start uh, yep. uh, last season as well. I think mm-hmm. they went winless in their first six, seven, maybe eight mm-hmm. games yep. and turned it around. They were over 500 the rest of the year. So, um we will see games in St. John, another one against the Moose uh, next week. Uh, Moose, as we mentioned, uh, trying to uh, find their first win of the season as well. And uh, the other team that really stuck out to me, uh, Jamie, amongst the uh, the teams that we're expecting to get some uh, some positive results out of this year, ran around the Huskies. Now, they haven't lost in regulation yet this year, but they haven't won yet either. And both of those games coming against uh, a Valdor team that is not only, you know, really at the first steps towards building back up, uh, missed the playoffs last year, but also have not yet got their starting goaltender back in William Blackburn. Mm -hmm. He's still nursing a knee injury. So you would have thought that uh, the four would have been ripe for the pickings. And unlike the Mooseheads, who were missing quite a few key guys uh, to NHL camps, like you know Cataford, who's also injured, by the way, um, and 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 the like, Jordan Dume and you know, so and such and such, Huskies had a lot of their depth in the lineup, and uh, they still uh, had to settle for a single point both those games. Yeah, it's a an underwhelming weekend for Ruin Aranda, and I think their biggest challenge is just going to be actually coming together and being able to play as a team. They've got so many new guys coming into that lineup. Really, really talented roster. Uh, we all know the talent that they have on that team, but um, certainly not a great start for them right off the bat. Um, but we'll see. You know, Lots of time for them to kind of uh, come together as a team and play a little bit better as a unit. Um, we're missing a few key guys, you know, without Langwa, Lashko, Gill. Those aren't small absences at NHL camps. Um, but on, like, on the other side though, I think Valdor, I mean, that's gotta be a huge confidence boost for them to, to open your season against your rival with two back-to-back wins. Um, no matter how close they are, that's gotta be a huge boost for a Valdor team that I think, I think a lot of us are, are, you know, wondering if they might be, uh, potentially missing the playoffs again. So, um, certainly a, a big weekend for them, but I think Ruin Rand, I think they'll, they're, I think they'll be able to turn around. I think there's too much, too much, uh, talent on that roster and once they get their full team back i I fully expect them to to be the team we think they can be on the other hand a couple of two and oh starts outside of of course in valdor and in charlottetown 
uh, and in Moncton for that matter as well. But uh, two teams that are, um, I'd say, kind of Moncton-esque in that um, maybe not expected to be that high in the standings, but expected to be solid teams. And they got off to solid, solid starts, I should say. Um, a couple of East Division teams, Ramuski and Bakemo, they both started off 2-0. and And uh, in the case of Ramuski especially, it looked very good to him. Yeah, like the Eastern, we never really got to do our, our full league preview because of there's just so much news going on this week. But uh, like the Eastern Conference is, is kind of wide open. Like there's not a lot of, you know, huge uh, Goliaths in this conference. Um, and teams like Ramuski, teams like Bay Camo, teams like Moncton, Shikudami, teams that have really good talent but are maybe a year or two away from being contenders, like they can make some noise in this conference if they, if they really want to. Um, and Ramuski and Bay Camo are two of those teams, especially to me, Bay Camo, they're a really exciting team, just pretty much based solely on how well they played in the playoffs. What an exciting series they had um, against the Wildcats. Um, Justin Poirier this weekend, three goals, a guy that we're going to talk a lot about this year, I would imagine. Um, great start for him. Certainly if he can continue that production, um, you know, maybe he works his way up into, you know, second or even first round of the NHL draft. Um but a, a big, big weekend for the Bay Camo, that core, the brothers. Uh, I'm going to say their last name wrong, I feel like. Is it Boyard? Boyard? Let's go with that. I think I think it was pronounced Boyard. <laughs> Ironically, I watched their second game against Quebec. Um, and uh, I do believe, I'm, I'm already, it's already slipped my mind, but I think it is uh, Boyard or Boyard. But sure. Let's go with that. It's <laughs> great audio. Somebody will tell us we're wrong. Yeah, that was wrong. Six points in two no games for Jules, uh, four points in two games for Raul. Both guys who played in the BCHL last season, so a great start for them. Uh, really, I'm excited to watch this Dracar team. I think that they have a really intriguing roster. Um, and again, playing in a division in a conference where they have the opportunity to pick up a lot of points if they really want to. They, they're they're so intriguing. I think they're going to be one of the most entertaining teams in the yeah. league this year, Jamie. That combination of real fire wagon offense mm-hmm. But also still kind of young, so the defensive miscues are still there. Yep. You know, they 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 uh, blew a three nothing lead against Shikudami in the, on opening night, and then pulled off a five four overtime win. Uh, they had a four nothing lead after one period, and Quebec ended up winning five three. Quebec uh, with a couple of goals to make that one a little bit close. So if you're a fan of uh, uh, of games in which no lead is safe, you might want to cheer for the Drakkar this year. They could be. Uh, cooking up something pretty interesting there and good for them. It's been a very long time uh, looking for their first playoff series win since 2015. And uh, let's briefly talk here, uh, Jamie, about uh, some of the young guns that uh, had strong starts. We talked about the guys who are out of the lineup at NHL camps for their respective teams. Well, what about these young guys who are making their league debuts that probably are relied upon a little bit more this weekend and even into next weekend more than they will be throughout the rest of the season. There are some pretty good uh, performances from those guys. Yeah, definitely one of those guys is probably Liam, Liam Kilfoyle with the Mooseheads, who's probably going to slide down their lineup a little bit once they get all their their uh, forwards back. Um, first goal in this first game, kind of cool that he scored um, pretty similar time uh, in real life time, not hockey time, as uh, Egan Beveridge in St. John. He scored his first goal in his first game in Bathurst. Um, and the two of them were uh, were roommates once upon a time, so kind of neat to see them score um, on the same night in their QMJHL debuts. Um, Owen Conrad, four points. Uh, Cole Chandler, a game-winning goal. So really, really exciting start for a lot of rookies. And 
and an exciting start for not necessarily the quote unquote marquee rookies either, you know, kind of a quieter, quietish, quieter weekend for, you know, the likes of Caleb Denoye and Sean Carey and Moncton. So um, it'll be cool to watch a lot of these rookies and see who can kind of keep uh, the mom- momentum they got going this weekend uh, into the year. Yeah. Owen Conrad in particular uh, stood out for me, uh, Jamie. Um, great performance on uh, Friday night in the, in that home opener in Halifax, season opener in Halifax, a lot of pressure, full building, big ceremony to start things off. Number retirement, Nolan Conrad just goes there, puts it a couple of points, and just looked very steady in a, in a close game. Uh, that, that says a lot. And uh, for Jim Holton's crew, who are going to be looking to squeeze every bit of ability of, out of everybody in that roster as they make their way back up the standings, uh, having performances like that from Owen Conrad early on the season sort of setting the tone that's huge and you know you talk about kill foil um even though he'll uh, slide down the roster in halifax a little bit this is not the moosehead's offense of last year two out of the 350 goal scorers are gone and josh lawrence and alexander Doucette. and who knows when jordan dumay is actually going to be, be back will he be back it's mm-hmm. uh, still all uh, left uh, left uh, up in the air so uh the fact that he's already looking comfortable early on, that's going to pay dividends uh, for that Mooseheads team. But let's go back to Quebec here for a moment. It was a tough weekend for the Rampar. Um, the last time we saw them before this weekend, they were, of course, lifting the Memorial Cup. This weekend they go 0-2, they raise, but they raised that Memorial Cup banner. And in a special press conference, it was announced that a new award is going to be handed out at the end of the year it's going to be the Patrick Waugh Trophy, and it's going to be going to the player judged to be the league's best goaltender. It's the second goaltending award that are going to that's going to be in the um, the league's uh, offering. Uh, the Jacques Plante Trophy, of course, has been handed out for years. That's you know, if we're using NHL terms, the Jacques Plante Trophy is the Jennings. It's going to go to whoever has the lowest goals against average, whereas the the Patrick Waugh is going to be more like the Vesna. That that one will actually be judged. Uh, by personnel, um, who that is, uh, whether it's GMs or people in the hierarchy of the league, I, I am unsure of right now. But uh, Patrick Waugh getting uh, getting uh, this sort of legacy uh, bestowed upon him uh, as he exits the league. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, kind of surprising that the league hasn't had this award up until now. Honestly, I think I think I, I I'm willing to bet a lot of people who saw this probably just thought the league had an award and they just renamed it. Uh, but this is an entirely new award, which is uh, a little surprising. But uh, good, good to see the league uh, league add that in, and cool to see Wa uh, honored in that way. Uh, I really liked your <laughs> your comment in the group chat, though, Will, that the the personality of the year award probably should have been named after <laughs> uh, Patrick Wa. Yeah, uh, it's uh, you know, and it's not untrue. What makes this award really unique, Jamie, is. When you look through the roster of, of trophies that are handed out and who they're named after, and we'll stick particularly with the guys, start of all, who, are, who played in the queue, because there's a few. Uh, there's you know the Jean Beliveau or the Emile Bouchard, you know, Hall of Fame players. They didn't play in the queue. This before the queue was formed. But you, know, you look at the, uh, the Guy Lafleur trophy for playoff MVP, for example, and, you, and um, the, the Michael Bossy one for the top prospect. And, uh, the Luke Robitaille for the best team, uh, the best um, uh, offensive team. Those are all guys who had substantial careers in the queue. 
amongst the greatest players of all time were very noteworthy when they played in the league. Patrick Wall wasn't one of those guys. He Mm -hmm. was a third or fourth round pick, if I'm not mistaken, of Montreal. He played for Granby back in the early 80s. And the Granby uh, Granby at that time, Bizon, were a a horrendous team. He was like in a a league where, you know, having a goals against average under four at that time was pretty good. (laughs) His was like five and six. Like he had no support. And obviously we all know what he did once he left the league. Um, but it's kind of a breakaway from, from how these awards are usually, uh, uh, named, uh, usually it's somebody who had a great pro career and a great junior career. Patrick Watt did not have a great junior career. And I was thinking about the personality award. Um, but of course that is named after somebody It's named after Paul Dumont, who, uh, for those who don't know, he was the, um, uh, communications manager for the uh, Quebec Rampart back in the early seventies. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't have been put off if it didn't, if they didn't necessarily create this award, name it after Patrick Waugh, but if they wanted to name an award after Patrick Waugh, they name it for something else, whether it's a legacy award of some sort, um, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, because, I mean, that's what Patrick was, when it, when it comes right down to it, Patrick was legacy in the, to this league is the fact that, you know, it, it, it's the fact that he had a substantial pro career after he left the league as a player. Mm-hmm. And then that he came back and had all of his success in this league as a coach and general manager. A very unique situation. But uh, nonetheless, well-deserved. And, you know, for whatever you think about Patrick Waugh, um, at some point or another, I'm willing to bet you're going to miss him. So uh, he'll who, live on forever in trophy form. Who do you think? Uh, who do you think is going to win the this trophy for the first time? Uh, this year, I I'm probably it, it, there's a lot of great candidates there, Jamie, and I'm not trying to push this question off, but I think if you want a front runner, it's it could be pick your favorite goaltender with the last name Russo. I was going to say uh, that. I was just going to say Russo. Yeah, it's going to be Russo. <laughs> <laughs> if you like uh, maybe a little bit more of a long shot, if he if he can rebound the way that people think he he can, I wouldn't count out a guy like Riley Mercer in Drummondville. It's a good pick. Yeah, and uh, if you want to, and if you want another dark horse, I'll take uh, I'll take Jacob Steinman in Moncton as well. So good um, two good guys that, that 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 really they may not be as heralded as the Russos, but um, two guys that are going to play a big key in whatever their teams do this year. So, which is yeah. really this whole spirit of that award. So yeah. we will see. But you're you're putting your money on Russo, eh? Russo. Well, I had Russo, or I was thinking about Nathan Darvo too. But yeah. the interesting part about that award is that you have to play 40%. And I, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we could see Gabriel Dagg take over the net at some point if he, if he gets hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say anything's impossible, but uh, if you're carrying a 20 year old goaltender and you're using him under 40% That's of the time, yep. you probably don't deserve the GM of the year. Award. Oh. So we'll leave it at that. I'll take Hot take. Um, well, you know, you had your yes, you know, episodes full of them. Yeah, yeah. You you had your hot take. I, it was so hot, I can't even remember what it was. So. 
we're gonna have to and we're gonna have to erase it because it was just too scandalous so connor i think it was about the three minute 30 mark just do some cropping um our producer connor somerville behind the scenes listening to us natter on as usual thank you connor um we talked about nathan mckinnon his 22 going up to the rafters in halifax there's another number at least one more number going up this year we'll talk very briefly here about jason pominville um, his number 50, it's going up to the rafters in the Centre Bionest, uh, or the uh, Centre Gervais Auto, dating myself there up in Schwinnigan on January 27th. And Schwinnigan is like, it, it, it's kind of like the Montreal of retiring numbers. They have, I think they're running out of rafters to put the numbers up. Uh, Gatineau's the same way. But um, when you've been around as long as the cataracts have been, you know, you kind of, you kind of earn that right and uh, well-deserved for a guy who uh, when he came on the scene was completely unheralded. Yeah. Like uh, 255 points, 199 games. So decent. Uh, had a really good NHL career, obviously. Uh, I was actually going to use that Montreal comparison too, that Schwinnigan's a lot like Montreal, but then, well, Schwinnigan's also not at all like Montreal because they've hardly won anything. <laughs> um, so, so I was thinking, well, maybe they're kind of, they're, maybe they're more like Buffalo. In this you know, if we have any viewers in Schwinnigan, um, I'm sure we have tons. Well, yeah, yeah, well, not anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. but then I was like, well, maybe they're more like Buffalo because they've got, they had, you know, they've had some great players all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't won much, uh, but Palmerville also played for Buffalo. So there you go. There you go. See, great career in Buffalo, a couple of key goals, big playoff overtime winner in Buffalo one year, eliminated the Sens. And uh, my one of, one of my most lasting memories of Jason Pominville was because he really came on the last two years. I think he had like 115 points one year, 120 or so in his final year when he was also the captain of the Cataracts. And a good friend of mine, um, Ryan McDonald in in Sydney, uh, who's uh, uh, a CTV news reporter, and we were in each other's weddings, and we go back a very long way, but. Um, I remember us talking one night about the Q season that year. And just, it was just, it was a, a high octane offense year. One of those sort of years in the league. And he actually summed it up best. This is circa 2001 uh, when he said, would you have bet that at this point in the season, Jason Pominville would have more points than Jason Spezza in junior. And it kind of summed it all up. And sure enough, Jason Pomville wasn't just a flash in the pan, you know, 1,060 NHL games later, you know, um, he's going to have that number up there for uh, all time and it's going to be very well-deserved. So congrats to Jason and, um, and, you know, enjoy the night up in uh, Shawinigan, uh, even though you'll probably never listen to us again. Thanks, Jamie. Um, <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait. What did you think of Shawinigan's uh, helmets, the two-tone uh, oh, helmets? yes, yes. Um, first of all, I love that jersey, the the big S. Yep. That's that's classic. And it is classic. It, I yep. believe it's a throwback to the 40s. Um, it's I unique. Remember. Yeah, yep. you, you remember the days. Yes. Yep. Um, it's unique. I, I kind of like it. Like I, it's just something different. Um, I'm not, I would rather see something like that. The two-toned helmet. I'm, I'm trying to bring the fan. I'm trying to bring our Schwinnigan audience back. <laughs> when I say this, I'd rather see something like that than like 
the uh, the metallic gold or the metallic silver that Vegas and LA wear. Oh, that's, that, a dig I find, that's a dig at Islanders fans. That, we don't like Charlotte County jerseys. Uh, yeah, that that's gaudy. Yeah. Okay. Jim Holton, fight me. Actually, don't fight me. You'll kick my butt. Um, I, I am pasty, fluffy old man. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, he it's yeah. It's I think it's great, and for a team that seems to change jerseys every second year, <laughs> I think it's a change for the better. Myself, um, for for a lot of reasons, just very classy. I yeah, no no issue whatsoever. You uh, are you a fan, or are you going to continue to crap on the cataracts? Or <laughs> it's your call. You can do whatever. Well, you want. I, it's, I it's don't half your show. Well, I don't hate them. I don't hate them. And but tying this back to tying this back to the throwback theme, those those helmets are actually a throwback, which I didn't realize. Schwinnigan actually wore two tone helmets in the early. I don't know if it was in the early two thousands or late nineties, uh, but they were they weren't uh, yellow and blue. They no, were, uh, they were green and, white, green and, green and white or something. Green and right? green and blue, green and blue, green like and the blue. classic green and blue that Schwinnigan's jerseys yes. used to be. Yes, back when the logo was the C mm-hmm. in the puck. Yep. And the the probably the sorry Schwinnigan fans one of the plainest jerseys of all time, um, but anyway, definitely not getting any love in Schwinnigan anymore. Uh, please, please, yes, please don't send John Cretchen after us or something. Just like let's water under the bridge. Schwinnigan's great. Next, um, let's talk about something that was a key topic last week. Now, of course, we had our say about the new rules on fighting. And sure enough, Jamie, you were the lucky guy who got to see the first fight in the league. History. Um, if, you, if you want to call it a fight, let's talk about that a little bit. On Saturday night in St. John, Noah Reinhardt and Alexandra Lallier, this all stemmed from a very big hit uh, thrown um, by, I believe it was, uh, was it Reed Calder, I think, yep. threw it uh, for the Sea Dogs, and that precipitated this. Um wasn't much of a fight, but we got fighting majors and we saw some of the machinations of how this is all going to work. Um, tell me what you saw in your own, uh, in your own, uh, you know, totally unbiased opinion. Well, when it, ha- like in real time, it did look like it was more of a fight than it was upon second viewing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, like it did look like in real time that Reinhardt was very clearly engaged in the fight. Looked like he'd even dropped his gloves in the fight and looked like both players had dropped their gloves. They just went to the ice immediately. Um, and you could kind of understand that it was called fighting both ways, but, um, the play was reviewed. The, all the officials have iPads now, just like in the NHL, they reviewed the play. Um, Reinhardt didn't even leave the ice at, at originally, like he was still on the bench, like talking with his teammates as if he was going to go out on the next shift. Um, and then the refs came over to the bench and you could tell there was a lot of confusion over Reinhardt being tossed from the game and given the, uh, the game misconduct for fighting. Um, um, I think the, it was just, it was a confusing, it was confusing to see kind of how it all played out. Um, and again, like, um, 
the more confusing part was the previous plays that probably weren't on some of the videos that fans saw um, involving some other players who were, you know, not, they didn't drop their gloves, but they were definitely throwing, <laughs> throwing hands, if you want to say that, and kind of rolling around. Um, and, but the funny part about watching that is that you could tell that there was um, a fear of those players of losing their gloves. They were doing everything to make sure their gloves were, were kept on. So there's obviously a message sent that, or a fear that if you drop your gloves, you're basically done for the night, um, which I think we can understand, which is a little bit why upon review, the Reinhardt penalty was confusing because Reinhardt, uh, it didn't look like after watching the video, he dropped his gloves. Um, mm-hmm. and it didn't look like he really engaged in the, not that he was unwilling to, but it looked like he didn't really engage in the fight at all or much mm-hmm. at all. Um, so it was confusing to see that. Um, certainly leads to a lot of questions, I think. I think the biggest one in that situation that hasn't really been talked about is that no Reinhardt is a top line, top line forward for St. John, who uh, wasn't able to play in 3-0-3 overtime, wasn't able to play in the shootout in the Cedars lost that game. Um, so certainly a case to be made that if Reinhardt isn't ejected, um, you know, maybe the Cedars come back and win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's probably a little bit of confusion now where okay, if I'm, if I'm an opposing coach, I'm going to try, I'm going to send my player out. I'm not going to say this is going to happen. This is in theory. I'm going to send my player out to try and engage the other team's best player in a fight and just kind of see what happens. And maybe that guy will get thrown out because nobody really knows what a fight is. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of, of confusion right now. Um, and I think this play set a little bit of a, a concerning precedent, I guess, in the case mm-hmm. that, um, you know, a team could lose one of their best players uh, very easily. You know, it, it reminds me of the first time we went around the Mulberry bush, so to speak, with this. It was in 2008 when the first set of legislation came mm-hmm. out to stop gratuitous violence, you know, your stage fights and your brawls and things like that. The first month of the season, Jamie, guys would drop their gloves and then literally look around as if, what do we do next? Like, are we allowed to do this? Are we allowed to fight? People were allowed to fight. It's just, it couldn't be gratuitous. It couldn't be a stage fight. If it was a heat of the moment, like what happened in St. John on, on Saturday night, no problem. You weren't getting kicked out. You might get a 10 minute misconduct, but you're probably not getting kicked out unless something gratuitous happened or if there's obvious instigating or something like that. Um, I think we're going to see the same thing happen, except for it's, the confusion, I think it might actually fall more on the official side uh-huh. than it is on the player's side. The players know if they fight, they're done. They're out. And then once again, getting back to that point, what's a fight? Like you drop your, if you drop your gloves, once upon a time, if you dropped your gloves and did not throw a punch, you got to lay a game. Uh-huh. Maybe you get two minutes for roughing or unsportsmanlike conduct, but you didn't get a fighting major. So I, and I hate instant replay. I, it, it slows everything down. It's not as bad in hockey as it is with baseball, except for that stupid offside rule. Like, you know, like we're, we're, we're literally splitting hairs on an offside. But as much as I dislike that, is this what we have to do going forward to prevent having a player ejected who didn't fight? But the officials on the ice just saw a pair of drop gloves. Do we have to review fights? 
or or incidents like this that could potentially be called a fight. Um, and f if anybody thinks that that's kind of um, a bit of nonsense or if it's a waste of time, my answer to that is what if this happened in a playoff game? Uh -huh. like, what are you going to do? What if it happens tie game in the playoffs, third period, two guys, like one guy clearly drops the gloves is trying to initiate and the other guy kind of drops his gloves because that's what you're supposed to do, but that's as far as it goes. Um, that could determine the playoff series. Mm -hmm. Like it's, uh, I think, and this isn't a shot at the officials. Like I said it last week, the people who I find are the most gung ho about, Oh, the officials really better get it right this time. Those guys think that the officials never get it right. So that doesn't count. But this is a very different rule, and it's a very new thing. Nobody's used to it. And at the end of the day, these are junior officials. Like, you can't hold these guys to the same standard as NHL officials or pro officials. Um, this is a sideline for them. If they need the help by way of instant replay or video replay to determine what they should call something like this in a situation like this where the stakes could be high, then give them that opportunity. And I think there's a lot to this idea, um, at least early on, you know, and, and we knew this was going to happen. I said early in 2008, this happened. This is no different than it used to happen every fall for the first couple of weeks of the season. A number of players would get dinged with 10 minute misconducts for equipment violations because they didn't know how to wear the visor in in the, the proper manner off their helmets because they came from especially european players they didn't realize that the visor had to be down in a certain way like this is just another one of those examples but this one has higher stakes to it yep. and i think there should be a little bit of an extra mechanism allowed to make sure it's right um because like you say you know the saint john sea dogs are you know they're they're on the they're on the low end of, of that building cycle and what if they miss you know, I, you know and I, I really hope i'm not prophetic about this what if they miss the playoffs by a point you could come back to this instance and you know not to sound overly dramatic but we've seen crazier things look at game seven between bacon and moncton last year we've mm -hmm. seen crazier things yep yeah and like i i feel for the officials because i i don't think they this is just me speaking freely. I don't have any insight into this, but I, I don't know if the officials are overly confident and they even know like what is classified as a fight and what isn't a fight. Um, and I think you bring up a good point, Will, where uh, you know, you almost wonder if you're better off for these cases, um, like sending this to Montreal for review, like how, and you know, you, they call Toronto in the NHL. You mm -hmm. almost wonder if you're better off having one set of eyes or two sets of eyes that clearly know, uh, where this rule is coming from and clearly have a clear judgment over what's a fight and what isn't a fight. Because I think this is this this weekend, I think, caused a lot of um, confusion, a few concerning questions over how these rules are going to be enforced moving forward. And then yeah. the, the glove thing, too. I think the glove thing is just kind of it's just kind of funny. Like it's the gloves are a technicality like this. Like, why are these rules in place in the first place for player safety? You know, if you're if you're just you know back a guy into a corner and you're just you know punching him with your gloves on and in the ribs repeatedly, I mean, is that I don't know. Does that? I don't know how how much different that is from just having your glove off. Um, mm -hmm. So I think you know that's a bit of a technicality. And I almost wonder if we might start to see this 
being called more more things that are borderline fights calling them fights just to try and get some of that stuff reduced yeah it, it it's hard to say you know obviously one weekend in everybody's new to this everybody mm-hmm. knew they could potentially be the first team or the first set of officials that would that would be involved in a call like this i like the war room idea but that's a lot of infrastructure yep. but one thing there is a supervising official in the buildings mm-hmm. maybe he's the guy who looks at the replay instead of the goal judge, for example, as, as is the case mm-hmm. on, uh, or the video replay team, maybe there's that extra level of scrutiny from uh, a former official or something uh, that, that, that helps make that call. But it's true. Like I say, there's, there's a lot, it's when you read it and when you look at it on paper, it seems so cut and dry. And then something like this happens. Very first potential fight of the year. And sure enough, it's already into it's already into that gray area. So like it's it's almost it's like literally the textbook scenario that we'd all talked about too. Like yeah. big hit, fights ensue. Yeah. What what happens? Like you know, it's well, that's like really, the exact that, scenario. Yeah, I'd be willing to bet of the I, I forget uh, Mario Cicchini actually listed off how many fights there were last year. I think he said what eighty six or something. I'd be willing to bet without any evidence behind it three quarters of those fights started out, off of a big hit because yep. that's all that was happening the last few years. People would get upset because their player got, get hit not necessarily in a, in, not necessarily in a blind side or in a, in a penalize in a situation that he'd be penalized. He just had his head down. He wasn't paying attention. He got rocked and a fight would ensue. So, you know, sure enough. And that is the one situation because there's a big hit in Halifax this weekend as well. Uh, I forget who threw it per se. Was it? It was somebody on the Mooses that threw it. I want to say it might have been uh, Brady Schultz. And I looked down, nobody retaliated. I'm like, well, maybe that will curb that, uh, the, the fighting after the big hits. But you know, you're not going to curb it all the time. And you know, like I say, maybe that little extra level of scrutiny needs to come into play. But uh, we'll see as the season rolls on. Um, so that's this season. Let's talk about next season already. Um, In our news and notes, the 2025 Memorial Cup will be announced by the end of the year. We already know that the Rimouski Oceanic have decided to bid, and based on their opening weekend, probably not an unwise decision. Of course, Rimouski hosted the tournament back in 2009, and we've talked about Moncton being a potential candidate. We haven't heard anything official from their camp, but... Seems to be a pretty logical step. Um, now, uh, I, there's another place that I had put into put their hat in the ring for as well at one point, but a lot of things have changed. Uh, and that was Shikudami. Um, But they've kind of tweaked the roster in a way that, you know, they'll be good next year. Will they want to host? Well, the other news came up. And, Jamie, I know you're going to get emotional when we talk <laughs> about this, but... Um, why don't you tell the fine folks yes. what, what we know about My, the venerable Centre yeah. Georges Vezina. One of the best arenas in the CHL. Uh, the days are numbered on the Georges Vezina Centre. It looks like um, the city will build a new arena as opposed to renovating um, the oldie. Uh, tragic news. Highly encourage anyone who hasn't been there to check it out. Uh, it's a terrific barn. Also a beautiful drive up there um, mm. if you've never been. So, yeah, tragic news. Understandable from Shikudami's point of view. Um, having been to that rink, it definitely needs um, quite a bit of work. And I I don't think that rink could host Memorial Cup, even though 
and we we talk about the ice almost every show. The the big ice. I don't know. Big ice. Yes. I don't know if the CHL would want to have it on the big ice. No, <laughs> it, but even if it was small, even if it was regulation ice, I don't even. I don't know if the CHL would want to have the event there. That rink needs uh, quite a quite a bit of love. Yeah, and they just went through a. They they basically renovated it to the best of their abilities. Yeah. I think it was about fifteen years ago. So there's only so much you can do. Unfortunately, the building is over seventy years old at this point. It's had it's had its run and a great run it has been. Um, so we'll see uh, how those proposals and developments uh, take place in Shikudmi in the years to come. But yes, Ramuski and one would think Moncton. Probably joining in has hinted too that they might be interested. Although if, if they're if the committee's listening to the show, they probably won't give it to Shawinigan since there's been a lot of Shawinigan hate. Yes. You just keep torpedoing <laughs> teams around the league, Jamie, and everything will be fine. I like Shawinigan. Uh, the, the, that was actually a hotter take than your actual hot take the, in the beginning of the show. The, the arena there, the arena there is incredible. Like the atmosphere. Yes. Talk about atmosphere. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it is it is your true junior hockey town. So it'd be great to see Schwinnigan uh, uh, get another crack at it. Of course, at some point, Gatno's already said that they uh, are interested in 2028 for the Memorial Cup, which should line up perfectly with the build that they're about to embark on. And they also want the 2025 Q draft. And of course, with that brand new building in Gat in Gatno, Jamie, no surprise. Yeah, and immediately when I thought when I saw the their interest in 2028. Like, uh, how awesome would it be if Ottawa was the OHL team uh, mm-hmm. competing at the Memorial Cup in Gatineau? That'd be yeah. really cool. It almost happened the other way around in 1999. Um, Ottawa hosted, uh, back then, the Hull Olympic, uh, made the final. They lost to the Agnew Bathurst Teton. I know a few people from Bathurst who went to that Memorial Cup, and they were not well-received because they kind of ruined the plans of many fans in the Ottawa Valley. So, uh, no, it'd be great. Um, that about wraps it up for us for this week. Um, we're, uh, we'll get back into some of our more regular things uh, as the weeks roll on, NHL Team of the Week, Prospect of the Week, uh, things of that nature. But just an overall primer, of op- primer for opening weekend, uh, uh, being that it was as, event- as eventful as it was. Um, but... Also, a few key games coming up this uh, week. It's going to be uh, a pretty fun weekend if you uh, if you uh, enjoy uh, junior hockey. If you if you have the CHL uh, webcast package, uh, you'll be doing some channel surfing for sure because there's a few dandies. Yeah, this Drummondville Rouen game is is intriguing. That's uh, that's maybe a marquee matchup that is one to watch uh, throughout the year. Um, but closer to us, I'm, I'm curious to see what the Eagles can do, see how they rebound, um, against St. John kind of, you know, the Eagles are a team that struggled offensively and the Cedars are a team that struggled defensively, um, an opening weekend. So curious to see, uh, that matchup and Halifax Moncton too, um, another marquee matchup that we'll be watching, uh, throughout the year. Yeah. And, uh, finish off where we started on the East division, Ramuski Bakemo, two big ones uh, Friday, Saturday. Both games in Bakemo, too. Not a home and home. That's kind of unusual. So uh, we'll see which one of those two and O teams uh, takes the L for the first time this season. Going to be a great weekend of action. We'll be back next week to recap it all for you and bring you all the other news that comes our way in the QMJHL. So for Jamie Tozer, I'm Will McLaren. Thanks once again for watching THN on the Q, brought to you by BetMGM.